part of a secret society of men and women who observe and record, but never interfere. Thank you, and welcome to back to all those who've chosen to come back and listen to me one more time to see if I'm actually worth listening to. Once again, this has been inspired by Highlander, which was created by the Davis Panzer Productions. In this, the immortals will be watched by a group of people who simply recorded their movements, their lives. So at the end of the time, these people who just drifted through time would be remembered. I always liked the concept and that I kind of adopted it for myself. Now, this is not going to be about the Highlander, the movies, or the episodes. If you like that, go ahead and look for the Blood of Kings podcast. They will talk about individual episodes, movies, comparisons, or go on over to Highlander Rewatch where they will cover the particular episodes. But for me, I'm going to be talking about things of this world around me inspired by different things. And tonight, I'm going to be inspired by the Twilight Zone. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. With those immortal words, Rod Serling would welcome us back week after week to share a different story from the Twilight Zone. Different people, different events that are so very memorable. I'm going to touch on two tonight. The first one, which is an extremely well-known episode, called Time Enough at Last, starring Burgess Meredith. He was Henry Bemis, a small man, you know, just described as, you know, bookish. Now, we see him reading David Copperfield to a, as he deals with a customer, wearing these Coke bottle glasses. You feel sorry for the man instantly. He's described as a bookish little man. In our first encounter with Henry, he's dealing with the customer. He's trying to tell her about his book while she's impatient with him. Then the bank manager calls him in to dress him down, complains about him for his reading habits and different things, how he doesn't function within the organization. Told him he's a reader, you know, almost like he's just something to be despised. Yet Henry will sneak off down to the vault later on to read his book, and there the H-bomb will go off, bringing destruction to all of mankind, but Henry will survive because he was down in the vault. He goes home, his wife, who would not let him read, and you know, felt he was foolish for him to do it. She's dead. Everything he's known is dead. He doesn't know what to do as he wanders around, facing life all alone. What will he do? He finally decides to commit suicide when he finds the one thing, the public library. Here, his salvation at last, as he lines up his books, for the months ahead, the things he's going to read, only to end up accidentally breaking his glasses. He sits there crying among these books, talking about how it isn't fair. It just isn't fair because finally, there is time enough at last. As the episode closes, Mr. Serling comments about the best laid plans of mice and men, and how Mr. Bemis was a small man with glasses who just wanted time. My second story for inspiration tonight deals with the story called A Stop at Willoughby. It involves the man Garth Williams, who is an executive in an advertising agency. He's trying to make things happen, but you can tell the world just tears him down. His boss is extremely mad at him when something doesn't work right. Tells him how this is a push, push, push world. You've got to push and drive, push and drive. And yet you can see Garth, it just hurts him. 
He goes home, and on the way home on his train, he dreams of this little town. It's set back in the 1800s, and it's picturesque. It's quaint. It's relaxing. It's everything that he doesn't have. This little town is described by the conductor as a place where a man can slow his life down to a walk and live his life to full measure. When he goes home that night, he talks to his wife, who's unappreciative of everything, talks about how he doesn't try hard enough. He doesn't push hard enough. Next day, on his way back to the office, he dreams of this town again, and he wants to know more about it. But before he can get off the train, once again, he's woken up, finds himself back on the train in the office, where he goes in and once again slaves away. It's horrifying for him as just everybody's yelling at him, and he can no longer handle the pressure of this fast-paced world. This is not the world he wants to be in, and he's decided that he's going to go home. He calls his wife, and once he tells her what's going on, she promptly hangs up on him. She's not going to support a man like this. So he leaves the office, and he goes, and he gets on the train, and he's made a decision, and he falls asleep, once again dreaming of this town of Willoughby. He wakes up. He's once again back in the 1850s. He confirms with the conductor, it's Willoughby. Yes, sir, it's Willoughby. He lays down his briefcase and he gets outside. He goes out and he steps down to the platform where he's greeted by the people. They all know him. It's like they've been waiting for him. He talks to the boys about going fishing that he's going to join them tomorrow. As he starts strolling through the town, people come up and greet him. They're kind to him. Talk to him about how they've been waiting for him and they hope he's going to like it there. And then we do the transition back to the real world where the train has stopped and Mr. Gart Williams is dead. You see, he jumped off the train, and they load him up into the back of the funeral home's ambulance, and as they close the doors, you read those fateful words, Willoughby and Sons, Funeral Home. Now you're thinking, what do these two men have in common? What these two men have in common is they want to do the things they want to do. They want to have their lives. They want to do the things they want and not be dictated to. I'm sure we'd all like that in this world. You know, it'd be a great thing to sit there and say that we can all do what we want. Of course, we all have to work for a living in one manner or another. But, well, what does it come down to? Well, for Mr. Bemis, it's reading. That is his joy in life. It is to read books. Now, you may think, okay, boy, that's a hell of a transition. You went from Twilight Zone to reading books, but why not? You see, this was something that made Mr. Bemis happy. He transported to the different worlds of books. He knew the characters, the interesting names that Charles Dickens would give them. And it became this fascination bit to him as he enjoyed life at that space. Does he matter? Well, no. Now, let's go ahead and talk about reading for a couple of seconds. Now, I, have, I love to read. I've known other people who don't like to read. Their attitude is it's boring or I'd rather wait for the movie. The movie is more indicative of my time allowance, you know, but I don't have time to read a book. You know, that happens so many times with this world, which, you know, gets down to time and how much time do we have? How much time are we going to offer? So let's talk about some of the books I read. Let's start with one of my favorite authors, Stephen King. I would like to say that I have always read, but the truth is I haven't. I was reading books at an early age or had them read to me even, but... When I was in college, my efforts were more in the line of dealing with school, and I wasn't reading books during that time unless it was a textbook. Once I graduated college, the majority of my time was spent 
being in this new family position, a new job position, as I got used to it. But it wasn't that long before the world of books drew me back in, and I was introduced to the Stephen King novel, The Shining. I would soon after start using the public library to get more books of his and start following up on more things, enjoying reading again, delving into it more and more. You'd always see a book with me. And it just stayed with me that way for ever since then. The books I've liked now, The Dark Tower is one of his series I'm going to highly recommend to anybody. It's The first book is a little bit tough, The Gunslinger. However, it really becomes so much more of this world of his. And his The World of the Dark Tower is spotted on through so many different books. But this is actually an eight-novel serial that deals with Roland and his quartet as they work to save his world that he says has moved on. The first novel is called The Gunslinger, and it can be a little bit funky at times, but I'm going to suggest go for it and just stick it up to that one. Once you get to the drawing of the three, I think you'll be sufficiently intrigued to continue on. But it's definitely worth a read. But some other Stephen King novels. I know people talk about King for that fact he scares them. Uh, the Shining. The Shining is an amazing book. Now, the thing is, that was actually written at a time in his life when he was dealing with his own alcohol, it is, his alcoholism and drug addiction. He was doing it the hard way back then. With no help. Just, you know, just, you know, he was being a man, sticking it out. And it was tough. And you can tell that's reflected in his character, Jack Torrance. Many years later, he would revisit the world of The Shining with a book called Dr. Sleep. In this book, young Danny Torrance, we all remember young Danny from the movie yelling, doing red rum, red rum. And now Danny's a grown man, and Dan's an alcoholic himself. And Stephen King's own issues are once again are returned, except this time, instead of how he white-knuckled it, it is how he dealt with it through his Alcoholics Anonymous. You see the difference on how young Dan Torrance is a different man, how he handles his alcoholism differently, how he handles his life differently from Jack Torrance. And But we're going to touch back upon the original Shining itself along the way. If you have read The Shining, pick up Dr. Sleep. If you've only seen the movie, get both books. I highly recommend them. Still, we've got people, Stephen King scares me. I don't like his style of books. At one point in his life, he realized he'd written all these novels, but yet his own children couldn't read them because of the subject matter. So he wrote a novel designed for a young adult to read. It's called Eyes of the Dragon. This is an amazing book. I tell people this all the time. Do not miss this one. It deals with a kingdom, a good king, a beloved queen, and two sons, an evil, evil wizard, <laughs> the killing of a king, the false imprisonment of a son, redemption, and how it all happens. Fantastic book, fantasy novel. Once again, the Dark Tower world will be touched on upon there, but I think you might really like it. So you've got some suggestions right there. Well, who else do I read? F. Paul Wilson. You may be thinking, who the heck is this man, and how'd you hear of him? I actually read the book first before I saw the strange movie. You may have seen it, too. It was called The Keep, set in World War II, involving Nazis, an old man, and this entity that's out to destroy everything. The movie did not make a lot of sense. 
Matter of fact, there are times we, we think, when you guys were making this, did y'all just decide to throw the book away because you do better? Well, you didn't know better, guys. But this book is fantastic. It introduces this evil character of Rosalom and this good character called the Glaken. It takes place during World War II as the Nazis are taking over this little keep out in Romania, setting up a stronghold. Only as they're doing so, they accidentally release a very evil entity that's been locked up there and now must be dealt with. Fantastic story, but yet it actually leads into more. That was actually part of what was known as the adversary cycle. The other cycle, the repairman Jack. Jack is one of the most unique characters I've ever met. He's a repairman Jack. He got this name because he helped figure out ways to fix things. Now, I'm not talking about fixing toasters or anything else. Bring him a lawnmower, yeah, he's, you know, you'll never find him. What he repairs is situations. He repairs them in such a way that they go away and don't come back because they don't know the people they were fixed against don't really know what happened. Jack is an average-looking man. He has worked very hard to fit into society. He can be standing right next to you, yet he looks so noticeable. I mean, so he looks so unnoticeable, so absolutely ordinary, you'll never even know he's there. But he's trained, and he's ready to stop whatever it takes. An example, the way he got started. He was dealing with his pressure in his own life, and there was this nice man down the street. You know the old kind of guy, the man that keeps his yard beautiful, you know, mows it twice a week, overseeds it, waters it, just has the most beautiful yard. They hear this noise one night, and Jack goes down there, and there's police cars and everything else, and this yard is torn all to bits. And he talks to me, discovered that these guys in cars just went over there and tore up the lawn just because they could, just to be mean. And Jack told the man he thought about it, he goes, I can help you fix this. Man's like, what? So your friends can tear it up again? He's like, no, I can help you fix this. And he discussed his plans, and they worked it out, and they reached an agreement. Jack came back, and they helped him restore the lawn, putting in new bushes, replacing the grass, and everything else. And then they waited. And then one night it happened. The police sirens returned. The two guys came back to tear up the lawn again. Except this time, it didn't go right. The cars were dead on the lawn. One of the guys is laying in the middle of the yard. He'd gone through the windshield. When they were running through the bushes, they hit the concrete beams that were hidden behind them. There were more things in the yard to catch them as well. The men who had torn up the yard had been caught, and they had um, paid for their crimes. The man looked at Jack and paid him the remaining part of the money and said thank you. And Jack would continue on fixing things. His story grows on and on, and the... Razalom from the adversary cycle starts crossing over and the adversary cycle and the repairman Jack cycle crisscross back and forth until finally we have the ultimate mix set over <laughs> between the two worlds. These books are fast reads. They're fantastic little stories. The world will catch you. Repairman Jack is introduced in a book called The Tomb. Razalom is introduced in The Keep. And I suggest you get on the F. Paul Wilson site, go take a look, and start getting these books, and start going through a world that you will go down the rabbit hole on, and can't wait to see what happens on the other side. 
Now, as I talk about these books, you're thinking, my God, man, your bookshelves must be full if you keep buying all these books. And the truth is, if I continue to buy books, well, they would be over, overfilled. But yes, I'm one of those people. I own a, a Kindle. When I first got it, I decided I had to justify the cost of my Kindle. How to do this? Well, what I determined was that any classic novel that's been reprinted, well, they're going to basically charge you about eight, nine bucks. You know, it's really the binding fees, distribution, and all that. So the cost of my Kindle with cover was equal to the cost of about 21 classic novels. And so I started out on my mission. I got my Kindle, and these classic novels are available for free in the public domain. I have read novels such as you know, the Jules Verne novels, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, The Mysterious Island, From Here to the Moon. <laughs> that one's a wild one. What others? We've got some Charles Dickens in there. A Tale of Two Cities has become a favorite. Great Expectations. I'm not a fan of Pip, by the way. Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. The next one, though, I, there's a story with it. I was telling this story to people at a party and commented how I was currently reading Robinson Crusoe. And there was this kid there, you know, 19, 20 years old, and he, uh, he gets an air of authority about him. And it uh, goes into his little style of distinction. Oh, yes, I've heard of him, but I haven't read anything he's written. At which point the others around me started to snicker, and we had to explain to him his lack of knowledge that Robinson Crusoe is not an author, but a very famous classic story. And he had just proven my point, that we're no longer reading classic novels. We're reading the current that come out. There's, now there's lots of fantastic books coming out. But we're forgetting so many classic novels that are coming out. It's not just you know, about you know, the teens of the world, but the classic novels, what they were written, what they stood for. And I realized that my mission to read these classic novels, to, to know them myself, was far more important than I ever realized. One of the most important novels I think I've ever read is Les Miserables. We've seen the movies, the beautiful music and everything else. But Victor Hugo is a very verbose man. He loves the sound of his own voice, and he loves the way his voice sounds on paper. The priest that's in this book is described over a hundred pages. A hundred pages simply so we can understand the virtue of this man, what he is, and how he's totally ignored by so many. If you had the you know like the priest gathering and they always give out the award for the best priest of the year, they'd be coming down there, yeah, I think I got a pretty good chance this year, and oh great, here he is again. Why bother even entering this contest? We all know he is the best among us. He's going to win it. Yet this man was ignored by so many. He did so many things, yet people who looked at him were almost disgusted with him because of his goodness. But yet in one man, in one man's life, he made a difference. And that one man made a difference in other lives. And I think that's one of the important things about that book is... One change, one change in you can inspire a change in one or more other people. You don't need to change the world, but sometimes you can just need to change one or two and let it go on down the road. I could talk more about books, but, you know, I don't have all night here. So let's go on. What else from my Twilight Zone episodes tonight were really being touched upon? In both 
time enough at last and a stop at Willoughby, we're dealing with life in general, especially in a stop at Willoughby. Push, 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 you know, trying to get everywhere so fast. You know, you've got to sit there and have schedules to meet, have to accomplish things a certain amount of time frame. We've got to get there, got to get there, got to get there faster, got to do it now, got to do it now. Cannot wait, cannot wait. We see this everywhere. Henry Bemis wanted to slow down and get away from everybody and take time to read a book. Gart Williams wanted to be able to enjoy life, to live life at its own pace. How many of us do that? We are in a world surrounded by things that make life easier for us, faster, everything else. We don't even have to go out and buy our dinner any longer. You know, the Dinner Dash people will bring it to us. We can get the TV whenever we want by our different streaming manners. We can don't we can get anything now. We don't have to wait for anything because it's all out there. But we can so we can do so much more with our time. How much more are we really doing? I mean, we're updating our Facebook statuses more. We're updating Instagram more. You know, everything that we're doing, we can, we can do so much more of it because of technology. It's become a very fast-paced world. I mean, I mean, you'll see this even when you drive home from work. I had this recently where I'm coming home from work, and these two guys, they thought they were out of the Fast and Furious or Grand Theft Auto or something, and they're racing around traffic as much as they could, you know, three lanes here, three lanes there, going over into an exit lane, you know, down past the end of that exit lane, and jumping back into the main lanes of traffic so they can get somewhere a few minutes faster, cutting anybody off. It doesn't matter because, by God, they've got some place to be, and they need to be there right now because they've got something very important to do. They're very important people. I'm absolutely positive of it. And Gart Williams, he wanted to step away from that world. He wanted to go back to that quaint little world where he had time to walk, to stroll, to breathe in the fresh air. Does anybody else do that? Do you take time to step away from your harsh world? Do you sit there and take time to step away from technology? Do you take time to stop and read a book? Do you take time to go out to a movie and actually go to the theater? Take time with friends. A bottle of wine shared. Night of cards laughing. Whatever else you like. You know, I mean... That's one of the things here is you can do this. I mean, there's even an app for the Samsung phone now. It's called Thrive. It blocks your ability to use your phone. I know you paid all this money for your phone, and now you're going to put an app on there that says you can't use your phone. And that's because so many of us, and by the way, me included, spend too much time on that phone, staring at it, staring into the different little things that we can look up, that we can have right now. And we actually have to have an app that says get away from your phone and get back to the real life. I mean, that's what these guys wanted. Just this ability to do things at a slower level. Now, before you think I'm some kind of self-synced manios jack wagon, who is giving great advice because I'm so much better than you. Let's get over. Let's get past that fact. I am so not. I spend too much time with my face on my phone, checking out Instagram, checking out Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Yeah, I do it too much. I'm in a technological world. I've adapted to it. At times, I adapt to it too easy. At times, I spend nights up, staying up way too late, watching TV. You know, I've got a mandolin over here that I've been trying to learn to play. 
I've got other stuff. I've got books to read. And instead, I'll sit there staring at a damn TV doing that and then wonder later on why I'm not getting farther in the book that I dearly want to read. You see, I'm not making that time choice. So the fault in others and that they need to be more like us. But we see the fault in others because we see those same faults in us. We just don't want to admit it. And we really want to correct those things in ourselves first. You know, I mean, one of my successes in the world, well, I do take time to read. You know, I got time out with friends. Saturday mornings, I like to go play disc golf. I'm not any good. I suck. I mean, I'm horrible at the game. But I, I, I'm out there every week and trying to get better at it. Why? Because as one guy described it, it's a time out with friends. It's a walk out there in the open grounds, you know, your some physical activity and just having a good time. And that's what I've really come to look forward to. I ride a motorcycle. I don't know if I mentioned that before. I'm pretty sure I did because I like to mention it. And one thing about a motorcycle, I mean, first thing you want to do is you want to get off the main roads. Now, yes, there are some people out there who are going to go swerving through traffic, lane cutting, doing wheelies and blah, blah, blah. That's not me. Am I, bra- am I bragging, making myself sound better because I, I don't? Well, no, that's just not me. What do I do? I'm the guy that likes to get on that back road. The little guys on their crotch rockets who want to go 120 miles an hour, well, they're mad at me because I'm taking my time, you know, and just cruising those curves and just going from town to town, you know, a new town to see, a new, a new town square to see, places that serve pie, diners that serve some of the best food. Yes, I eat way too much. Uh, I'm dealing with that too. But I enjoy those back roads and the things I can see on them. And the people that are just out there who will stop, see the guy on the bike, and wave to them. You know, so it's been a really fantastic experience for me, and I'm looking forward to doing it more this next year. Failures in life. Oh, my freaking smartphone. I spend too much time on it. I spend too much time looking down at it. I've got to force myself to put it down. I'm working hard at that all the time. TV, oh my God, it's such an amazing contraption, and I overuse it. Lack of other activities. I don't do enough. It's one of the reasons I've been out of shape. One of the reasons I've had my own issues with health and how I'm now having to pay that price and try to recapture so much. I'm going to make it. And the thing out there for you guys, you can sit there and go, well, I got the same issue, or no, I don't have that issue. Maybe you've got others. That's what makes it all cool because, see, you're you, I'm me. And instead of worrying about what you're not doing right, what you have a failure at, where you could do better, I'm going to let you decide that and let you find what level of life you're happy with. If you are in that world of push, 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 and you like it there and you thrive on it and that's what you want, go for it. I can't tell you how to live your life, but I am going to give you a story that I'd like you to think about and see if it applies to you. A job I worked at a while back, we were doing massive conversions. And it was tough. I mean, we were an oil and gas company, and we were bringing in other companies that had been bought out, and we had to convert their systems into ours. And it was a lot of work as we went through these acquisitions. And the leaders were working as hard as anybody. And there was this one guy. He was working 16-hour days, 80-hour weeks, continuously. He was ignoring his family, and you know his wife complained to him, but the answer is always the same. 
don't worry, it's only going to be another few months, and then we're going to take that vacation. Now, I know what you're thinking I'm going to say. You're thinking I'm going to say that he died of a heart attack and never got to take that vacation. Well, the thing is, we got through it, and finally he had time. He had that time and was able to take that vacation. And they went out to Yosemite as a family, and they had a great time. They were out there on the snowmobiles and spending time together. It was the last vacation he ever took. He was killed on a snowmobile in an accident out there. I can't remember his name, but I remember that he was killed in that snowmobile accident, and everything he'd sacrificed for the company, he didn't get it back. And sometimes the price is too great. You know, we're not going to continue on much longer tonight. And let's face it, you don't need to spend all your life listening to me, and I don't think you want to. You know, because tonight's been about time, how you spend it or how I spend it. You know, how one wants to spend time, and what's going to happen if you just wait too long. You know, for both Henry Bemis and Gart Williams, they did not get to enjoy life as they wanted to. They both lived their lives according to how others wished it. And once they finally were able to go off and live their lives the way they wanted to, for Mr. Bemis, he broke his glasses, and he didn't get to. For Mr. Gart Williams, he took a stop at Willoughby, and his life just ended. We have an edit coming up here. So your, so your challenge, go see how you spend your life, your time. Are you racing everywhere to save two minutes? And by the way, if you're racing to save just two minutes, ask yourself, what are you going to do during that two minutes? What are you going to do with those two minutes? How are you going to spend them? Are you balancing your time between life and work to the point where you're happy with everything? You know, you may not have two homes. You may not have a beach house, a summer home. You may not have the nicest car, the nicest house. Are you happy? Are you happy with what you have and where you're going? Are you happy with how you're spending your time? Do you want more time? Do you want to do more within your time? You know, when you finally take the time to, I'm assuming you need to take more time because I do. When you finally take that time to enjoy the things you really want to enjoy, the things you know, you know, will there finally be time at last enough for you? Thanks for listening in tonight, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope I've given you something to think about. I'm going to go ahead and let you know that every week's not going to be like this. Every week will not be a challenge week. You know, I'm going to talk about things that I've seen in life, you know, questions I've got, you know, things that make, you know, of interest to me, things I've seen, things I've done, things I've seen in other people. If you've got something that you'd like to ask me, you know, maybe it's some kind of things like maybe this guy is the one guy that can actually give me advice that I'm looking for. Yeah, go ahead and put it down there in the comments section. Now, I'm going to be back in two weeks after Valentine's Day. I'm going to share the stories of a little, um, I don't know if going to call it an excursion or a little venture to make a little extra money that I've been doing for the past several years. Then, well, this is the last year for it. And 
I'm kind of curious how it's going to go. So once it's over with, I'll let you know, first off, what I've been doing and how this last year went. I hope you can come back to listen into it. Invite a couple of friends if you like. And who knows, maybe you'll think that this guy is worth coming back to listen to for the fourth episode. Thanks for listening in tonight. And I'm going to let you know, dancing out of here to some of the music of Jim Burns. Y'all have a great evening now. No, I never loved that river. Rain from the highlands. A mirror for the Cajun moon. A road without a memory. Of anything that started out as blue. Like a jug of wine into the Gulf of Mexico, honey. Until the end of time, but no one ever loved that river.